Hi, and welcome to Two Hearts, a new Who podcast. I'm James. And I'm Callum. And this is the only podcast where I was just thinking about the day my husband was shot. And every week here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the Doctor Who revival. And this week, we are tackling two highly acclaimed Series 3 episodes, Human Nature and The Family of Blood. Uh, as always, don't forget, you can have your thoughts and feelings shared on the show too by emailing us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. That's to the word two. Or you can reach out on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram at twoheartspod and that's the number two. But... Before we get started on discussion of these episodes this week, let's quickly check in with the news and each other. How are you this week? I'm not too bad, actually. Um, I've had a, a pretty good week with my, my little my little games writing and whatnot. I've just started covering Fortnite, which has been um, certainly a journey for me as someone who used to judge that game quite harshly. And now I'm writing fluff pieces about how amazing I find its pop culture accessibility, which you can read on powerup.com.au. Um, but other than that, you know, I've just been looking forward to um, diving into these two episodes. Uh, how about you, though? Cool, cool. Um, I am trying to remember if I shared this little bit of news with you all out there in podcast land. Um, but on my personal front, uh, I had a play published recently. If I've already talked about this, just skip over. But if I haven't, hi, I've got a play. It's published. You can go to www.australianplays.com.au, I think, uh, and search The River. Uh, it's a little queer play about uh, queerness. And I can sell myself very well. Um, I like that when both of us, when it came time for us to share the websites that our work has been published on, we're both like, um, is that the website? (laughs) (laughs) We're really good at (laughs) self-marketing. Yeah, no, we, um, we're just very, you know, we are 21st century people. We're 21st century people living in Australia. We're subject to tall poppy syndrome and we just can't talk about ourselves. But God damn it, I'm going to try and be more positive. I'm going to try and spruik myself a bit more. Exactly. Um, 2021. It's all about you this year. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm glad we're both on the same page on that front, James. Now, we do have some Doctor Who news to talk about. And I think the best and biggest uh, news item is a certain birthday. Happy birthday, Freema Adjaman, Martha, Martha, Martha herself. Um, I believe technically today, like the day of recording, is actually her birthday. And so, Freema, if you ever happen to listen to this, the biggest of happy birthdays from us here at Two Hearts. We absolutely adore you and uh, wish you all the best. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Happy birthday to Freema Adjaman. On other news... Uh Obviously, we are in a bit of a dearth of Doctor Who content at the moment. Uh, The pandemic is still raging in the UK. And whilst the production team are hard at work making Doctor Who, it's unlikely to be with us until very late in the year, if not 2022. But uh, the BBC did do a comic relief skit with Jodie Whittaker and Mandip Gill recently, which you can uh, see on most YouTube channels, (laughs) I would say. Uh, It's 20 minutes, but it's short and sweet. And like, they just are the best together. They've got so much chemistry. 
They really are. And I have noticed a lot of the um, official marketing lately from like the uh, social medias and whatnot has been heavily featuring the two of them, um, which is like, I'm happy to forget about Dan the Man's incoming uh, intrusion into this lovely little group. Um, but it is odd that they are so hard, li- like so hardly. Uh, they are quite aggressively pushing um, uh, a duo that's just not going to be a duo. Uh, I'm, I'm very mm. confused. <laughs> Unless it's all like misdirection, Dan's only going to be in one episode. Who knows? You, um, I would lose my mind. I would be like, all right, Chibno, I take back everything I've ever said. You're a great dude. I want to buy you lunch, you know? But also he's probably like way richer than us, so he should be buying us lunch. Sure. Let's not get political. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> not on this show. I I, no, <laughs> not on a queer Doctor Who podcast. Yeah, uh, I think that is pretty much it for the news this week, though. There, there isn't a huge amount out there. Um, I guess uh, I guess we just got to start talking about human nature and the family of blood. Martha, this watch is... If anything goes wrong, it's all down to you, Martha. It's Monday, November 10th, 1913. <laughs> make quite a team. Don't we just... <laughs> Quite an eye for the pretty girl. Look, in the sky. Help me! Ah! human. Human Nature and the Family of Blood are episodes eight and nine, respectively, of series three of Doctor Who. Directed by Charles Palmer, they were written by Paul Cornell. More on the writer and their history with the story in a little bit, but we'll just give you a quick plot rundown. On the run from a family of violent, shape-shifting aliens known as the Family of Blood, the Doctor and Martha hide in 1913 England, where the Doctor uses the chameleon arc to present as fully human, disguising his scent from the family and causing him to lose his memories in the process. As Martha is put to work as his servant, the Doctor is teaching at a boys' academy, preparing the next generation of young men to go to war for Queen and Country. Here, he meets Joan Nurse Woman. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot I left that in there. (laughs) I think James uh, meant to write uh, Nurse Joan Redfern. A mild-mannered nurse who quickly falls in love with the Doctor's human form, John Smith. When the family arrives, Martha is forced to tell John and Joan the truth and needs to recover a fob watch, which contains the Doctor's Time Lord essence. As the family terrorises the town in an attempt to force the Doctor out of hiding, a young boy at the academy realises he can hear whispers from inside the watch and returns it to the Doctor and Martha, causing John Smith to have a breakdown about not wanting to die and return to his alien form, which he and Joan agree must be a monster. Still, he does it and punishes the family by dooming them to eternal captivity in cruel and unusual ways. The Doctor invites Joan on board the TARDIS, but she refuses, chastising the Doctor for his cold nature before he returns to Martha and barely acknowledges her hard work. We then flash forward to the Great War, where the boy from earlier is saved by the Watcher's warning before flashing forward again to modern time as the Doctor and Martha watch a Remembrance Day ceremony. And then in caps under that, James has written, (laughs) this is pretty good, which, to be honest, your description of some of the plot points in that episode uh, kind of belies. Uh, yeah, look, I, I just think it's important that we be, uh, chased and, um, editorialize a lot of what's going on here. So chased and editorializing are not the same thing, but by all means, let's go into the discussion of human nature and the family of blood. We're in it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> We're doing it right now. <laughs> oh gosh, this is going to be fun. Uh, James, <laughs> general impressions of these two stories. Um, uh, <laughs> like, okay, I I know, like, I am painfully aware of the fact that um my my uh, my time on this show has very quickly devolved into like being the contrarian in the corner um i i want you all to know i'm very self-aware of that when i say that i find this two-parter to be understandably beloved but i think if you are critical of what's going on underneath the surface and kind of um really get into this uh i don't particularly care for these two episodes um i think they are unfocused um they're definitely ambitious i I will 100 give them that there's a lot of good stuff going on in here as, as well as the bad stuff but i think the bad stuff for me is is something that i just can't quite pass correctly um it's it was weird watching it because uh I, i've seen them now twice again to do this this episode uh and the first time i rewatched it, i was so palpably excited because everyone remembers this one being really fantastic um and then i rewatched it and i was like oh um this has a lot of weird stuff with with women and and race and um politics and all, all that fun stuff that we like to get into on the show but i was kind of like look i'm sure it's fine i'll watch it again and i'll probably like have a good reaction to it and i definitely can see the good stuff in here um but we're gonna get into um a lot of my my sort of gripes with what goes on in this uh, two-parter. Callum, what, what about you? I'm going to be upfront and just say that, like, we have had chats, dear listener, behind the scenes about this episode. And listeners, did you know that we talk when we're not <laughs> recording? We love to talk about how much we talk. Um, it's <laughs> our thing. Um, no, but we, we have, we did chat very briefly about our f- thoughts and feelings about this episode these episodes and i it i find myself unable to disagree with a lot of the points that james has and will bring up over the course of this episode but i can't deny that these two episodes are very dear to me uh that uh, they whilst that like it's difficult right because i can't be like Oh, they they speak to me because of their they're so British and the Britishness that they exude is something I respond to. It's like I don't know what that is. I'm a white boy living in a colonized country a million miles away from Britain. But there is something to the essence of this story, to its themes of like human nature, at least at the title, um <laughs> and war that I do just respond to as a creative kind of impulses even if i don't like i don't in my own practice like writing about war or what it means to be human by any means at all (sighs) what am i trying to say here i'm trying to say that there is something quantifiably good about these episodes that i am going to have a really hard time uh extrapolating and putting into words and bear with me (laughs) but i am (laughs) gonna try my best to like defend these stories against the onslaught of Mr. Wood's accusations. <laughs> They're not accusations. It's just more that like I I reacted to this story differently than I mean it seems like 99% of the internet reacted to it. Um and that's fine. <laughs> I I'm used to it with my my uh hellbent Clara-isms. Um I I I get I get my position within fandom. I do fundamentally understand it. And I never want to be 
like yucking anyone's yum to, to steal a disgusting phrase from Twitter recently uh, <laughs> because it's not, I don't enjoy being on the outs from the good time. Um, like I want to be there with everybody else and sort of like seeing what they're seeing and like really being able to sink into it and whatnot. And with these episodes, like I definitely find myself they're not a bad time to sit down and watch. Like I, I think, uh, as Callum said, there is an essence to them that is fundamentally quite enjoyable and, and likable. Uh, and a lot of that is, you know, stuff we're going to get to like performance, aesthetics, uh, music choice, all, all that sort of good stuff. Um, it's just that when I start to like mull on where we're at with Martha's journey and with what this episode does with Joan's character. Um, and then again, uh, the way that David Tennant's Doctor is being interpreted by this era of the show is um, very there to me. That there's a lot of um, um, very like I, I don't even know what I would call it necessarily. It, it it does kind of elude me at this point because while they do eventually reach a certain point with David Tennant's Doctor, where they start being a bit more self-aware about the um, ego and the the godliness that they've imbued him with in this era of the show, it's there's none of that self-awareness to me. And so it does feel like a massive circle jerk between the writers, the showrunner and the character himself. Um, that's a whole other thing that we're going to get to though. Uh, before we run headlong into my issues with it though, I do think it's important that we um, unpack what Callum's talking about here about the, the sort of like the vibe and the essence. And there is a heart to what this two-parter is, is about. Um, Callum, do you want to run us through where this came from uh, as a two-parter? Because I'm not what? sure that like a lot of audience would even know this. I was actually going to ask you to start that conversation because you told me a fact that I wasn't even aware of, that it before it was a book, which is pretty well known, uh, it was fan fiction. And I'm very curious about what that entails. Yeah, I mean, as far as I can tell, uh, the writer Paul Cornell... Yes, I got it right, folks. Um, uh, he did an interview where he basically said that, like, this story for him started as something that he wrote in school when he like during the uh what is it the the deluge era of of doctor who the wilderness years the wilderness years sorry sorry um and so you know the idea that like this massive thing that you love this massive franchise that you adore and you sort of grew up with goes away and then to cope with that loss you start writing your own versions of these stories and eventually gets turned into a book and then like a decade later it gets turned into a critically acclaimed tv show version of that book like I love that journey. Um, I really am a huge proponent of fan fiction and sort of creative fandom spaces. I think it's a much more healthy way of engaging with the things that we love as opposed to just like stand culture in a general sense. And so it's a really good success story on that front. Um, and I'm happy for Paul that he gets like this, this kind of like journey here. Um, I, I just think that's quite wholesome. That's really, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even know that story. So that's really fantastic and interesting to think about because this is only one of two contributions that Paul Cornell made to the televised to televised Doctor Who the other one obviously being fam, uh, Father's Day We're, you know both very emotionally driven character driven stories and speak to uh, his strengths as a writer for sure um, but those aren't necessarily traits that we would find uh, you know it's not something that you know doctor who necessarily values all the time and so it is refreshing to see it in these kinds of stories um the other thing that's interesting to know about the story is it's 
sort of very classic who feelings, which I feel like you have some thoughts on James. Yeah, for sure. Like I was just struck when I was watching it by how much this felt like I was watching one of the old who stories that we used to be like, I mean, and look, I know that this, I don't want to make a big joke of it being my only reference point to classic who, but pyramids of Mars came to mind because again, it's like a stately British manner. Um, it's mostly set there. Uh, you do have illusions of like sci-fi technology invading the space, which feels out of place. Um, I remember there was that one scene in particular where Martha rides off into the forest on her little bike and she goes into the shed and like the TARDIS is just parked there in the dark. And it's just, it felt so, so um, old school to me. It, it felt very grounded. It had a lot of texture to it. I think a lot, a lot of the way that some of it is shot is also very reminiscent of classic Who. There's these like um, there's this amazing shot of uh, once the the family of blood arrives at the town, uh, they take over the the first body they take over is one of the um, head boys of the school, and to communicate with them, it just like zooms in on his face and lights it up in this like very unnatural, obviously fake green, and then he just closes his eyes. And and talks to them and it just felt like you don't need the special effects it can just be a green torch and a close-up like and so in that sense I definitely feel comforted by the aesthetics of this uh, episode and it gives it a, a very warm feeling mm. the um the practical effects in these episodes are very well done to be sure I do think though that it's not it's not my conception of what a classic who story is because it's by its nature like a very um postmodern kind of idea, which is to examine the the central character and to not take it for granted that they are a good hero. Um, there are shades of grey. And it's a very, you know, modern Doctor Who story in that respect as well, because, like, the classic Who series wasn't... didn't ever go out of its way to ever depict the Doctor as anything but a hero. Um, and I think that that's... Uh, this story feels... Very much, like, it feels very modern, and it's, like, something we could be talking about today, even. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. I, I just mean, like, um, purely aesthetically, uh, I get a very classic vibe. I think the writing itself is, yeah, in, in a whole other ballgame. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you think of the concept of this episode? Because I remember at the time when this went out in 2007, uh, just being utterly... I mean, like, I was 13 years old... I wasn't bewildered by the concept. I wasn't like, well, how does that work? But I was definitely, I think, a bit thrown as a child uh, seeing David Tennant play a different character and seeing it happen in a very non-science fiction way because there's a lot of this episode that, you know, it there's some techno babble, but it's very scant. And most of the time, like, there isn't ever much explanation of like how the things that are happening are happening because it's not the focus of this story it's the focus is on the characters and on the doctor specifically um but i do remember as a kid just being like this this feels so unknowable which is something that i now as an adult yeah. like really love and respond to um yeah i wondered what you thought of that yeah I, i'd agree with that i do just want to quickly establish um was the concept of the chameleon arc ever in the old Doctor Who? No, never. This is entirely this episode. 
Okay. All right. Excellent. That's really good then because I think, and again, this is why I like fan fiction so much because sometimes it takes somebody outside of the sort of production of the show to be like, Hey, wouldn't this be a wild idea? And then it gets folded in. And as we've seen with the most recent series, like becomes sort of a, like a mainstay sort of thing that they can work on in the future. Well, um, absolutely. And- because, you know, now we have Fugitive of the Jadoon where the chameleon arc again makes an appearance and now it's just established lore. Yeah, exactly. And it's such a cool concept. Like, the idea of, like, genetically rewriting yourself to hide yourself is is really fantastic. It's very Time Lord. It's very dramatic. It's, you know, like, I, I'm definitely all about it. And so, like, as a baseline concept for this episode, um, it's... It's really cool, and it also gives the family of blood a a really good um, sense of danger um, because the idea that the Doctor would have to go to this far of an extreme to avoid them, um, which kind of gets a bit muddied in, in the ending. Um, we'll talk about but it. We will. <laughs> we'll talk about that ending. Um, yeah, like, I, I don't know. Like, it's... The, the bones are good here. Like, it's got a really solid foundation. And when you add on top of that how well filmed and, and generally acted it is as well, um, I, you know, I, I definitely get the, the positive vibes around this episode. Absolutely. I'm glad that you do see it because I don't... Yeah, like, I, I, I think we're going to have a, an interesting discussion for sure. Uh, and there are definitely some aspects of this episode that um, don't hold up to scrutiny. And the main one being... Martha. What was that noise? (laughs) That was me just sort of deciding how to even, like, talk about Martha again. Again, we have to go through this this thing with her. It is... This this is something that we did talk about before the show because we are conscious of the fact that, um, especially after we did the season two run with Rose, and now it's kind of like history repeating itself, it... It's frustrating because it puts us into a position where we have to spend a portion of, it seems like every episode that we do, discussing how the writing is letting down these women, but it is fundamentally constantly letting them down. Um, I I think Martha is um, shockingly a a victim of this episode's inability to focus on something. Um, Because it pulls itself in so many different directions, it does forget about um, a very traumatic story that it puts Martha through. Um, so the idea being that the chameleon arc, which the doctor uses to hide himself, he's like, Oh, you know, it can like rewrite reality or whatever to give me like a, a baseline, um, you know, cover story for myself. Uh, but it won't be able to do that for you. Uh, I'll have enough residual awareness of you to give you something, but not enough, which is already an interesting line in and of itself. Um, but look, I get it. It's sci-fi machine. Okay. Hokey pokey understood. Where they end up being, you know, uh, 1913 um, uh, England, the attitude towards black people at the time obviously was not going to be particularly warm towards Martha. And so her role becomes simultaneously uh, the caretaker of him as the companion because, you know, obviously she has to keep an eye on where the watch is, just to make sure that the family don't show up, that the doctor is kept safe. There's a lot of, like... um, you know, uh, you know, very caretaker stuff going on there. But then simultaneously, the way that she's folded into this narrative is as his servant, who he has quote-unquote inherited. Um, 
And so she ends up being in this boys' school where there are overtly racist remarks said to her throughout the episode um, by the Doctor himself even at one point. And it feels like that... Not necessarily that the racism should be the focus of this story, but that if you're going to subject the first black companion of the show to this kind of a story, you need to prioritize and deal with what she's going through in this moment. And it doesn't do that in service of uh, another blonde white woman and some weird nationalism stuff. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's definitely the vibe with this season that it was, as with a lot of media... Uh, Martha wasn't written to be black. She was written racially blind, and then they cast a black actor in this role. And it shows because there isn't a single episode that, like, deals with racism at its core. And I'm not saying you need to do that in order to be a, have a legitimate black character in your show, but you do need to just have the other characters address the the systemic, uh, casual and overt racisms that happened to the characters at least once. Like, it was enough in Shakespeare Code when, when the Doctor was like, you know, just walk about the place like you own it to Rose, to, sorry, to Martha's, uh, concerns about, like, being racially abused. Uh, rightfully, you know, because, like, she's a black woman going back to the 1500s. Why wouldn't she be concerned about that? Um, and it's the same thing here where, I mean, if you want to see the Doctor's attitude or even awareness of these issues for Martha, you need only look at the ending where the only thing he can offer her as a, like, he just says thank you for her putting three months of, like, being put up, putting up with all this shit, (laughs) putting up with this shit. And it's yeah. an especially thankless task for her. I did write down in my notes. I was just like, um, what is Martha getting out of this? Like, why is she seeing the best of the universe? Because I'm not convinced that she, like, is having the best time. But the show is going to such lengths to write her in, in a way where she is just so smitten with and convinced of his goodness, uh, the goodness of his character and the goodness of him uh, and this idea that he'll come around to, to eventually seeing her as her. This is mm. the big one, right? Because we know that's not going to happen. And we know what she has to do in order to get self-respect. And that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Exactly right. Like, it's... And this is, again, this is going to be an issue that we're going to get to with Joan as well. But, like, the default of the women in this era is to love the Doctor. Um, and it's exhausting (laughs) um because it does sacrifice everything else at the altar of this idea that they have complete blind faith in this man even when he's subjecting them to really horrific shit um it's and like it's not necessarily that like like we've said it's not that you can't do a story where a character goes through some shit like i think the reason we enjoy drama and especially time travel stuff like this is that it does put them into interesting and precarious positions but if you are going to do this particular story with this particular companion um and i said this to you but like why did we not get a scene where when she sneaks off to go and like uh sit in the tardis and just kind of gather herself for a little bit why does she not get to call her mum during any of these moments like, why is there no 
that there's no consideration given given to Martha's sort of internal process here outside of it's okay we're getting out of here really soon and I love the doctor um and so it's the same thing that we're just seeing again and again with this character it's that she should have so much more going on and so much more to say and all she's ever given to say is I love him um and I I just I, I hated it with Rose, um, but at least there I understood it. They had two seasons together. Um, there was a lot of sort of like build up going into that. This season, though, like you've just said, what is Martha getting? Like, what, like she's not being like she never gets to choose where they go. She gets these kind of like short. Oh, you only get one trip. Oh, maybe one trip more. Like she's constantly kept on this like just little loop with him where she doesn't get to have any self respect um, and or fun. I guess. Or fun. Exactly right. Like, I don't get... I just I just don't understand what Martha sees in this man at this point, basically. Um, and I think that a lot... Up. Sorry. Um, I think that no, a lot of go. this story uh, relies on these characters and in some ways, like, examines the roles that they have to play in the fictional universe that they unknowingly inhabit, you know? Like... Martha loves the Martha. Martha loves the Martha. Martha <laughs> loves the Doctor because Martha is the companion. The Doctor does good yeah. things, and because they are the Doctor, like these are just like fundamental truths. But with Martha in particular, like there is just like you've said, there is just no good reason for her to be acting the way that she is because she hasn't, as far as I can see, like she doesn't have the same setbacks that Rose had and the same desire to travel like Rose had. Like she mm. was a woman with free agency, learning to be a doctor, like with a, like a, not a great life, but you know, she could always come back to that life. And so for her to be sticking out on the Tardis, being put in these really crummy situations, like she's not seeing the best of the universe. She's seeing the worst of it. And it's a, it's a, it's a very dark season, I will say, like, on the whole. And a, there's, like, a dark intention to a lot of stories that underpins them. And this is another example of that, I think, with Martha. Um, mm. Sorry. Just FYI, listeners, it's, like, monsoonal in Sydney. And it's just started pelting down again. So, if my audio goes a bit funny, that's why. <laughs> Noted. Um, but I do want to yeah. say... Just, sorry, just one last little thing. Uh, I do just want to say that I do, as with every single episode, I do love Freema Adjaman in this story. I love her single-minded determination. I love that, like, she is consistently the smartest person in the room in this story, just by sheer fact of being someone from the future. Um, And obviously, what a frustrating position that uh, puts you in, not just because you are being racially profiled every day, but because you have knowledge that no one in this world, like, is capable of understanding. Like, it's, it, as I've said before, it's a very tough position for her to be in, but she has such grace and dignity and, uh, like, just, like I said before, just determination uh, and single-mindedness uh, that I love in her character and in this story in particular. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, Freema Adjaman really is a phenomenal actress, and she is absolutely giving it her all. Um, it's, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. It. Hmm. I, I support the baseline traits that they've imbued Martha with, and I think they do occasionally draw on them quite well. Um, the way she does hold her own in this world is, is really great to see. Um, it just... 
it, it just never moves beyond the fact that they keep putting her in positions where she has to hold her own this way. Um, it's, yeah, I don't mm. know. I, I, I just, I, I don't care for it. Um, it's, we are near the end of the season now and especially knowing what's coming up. Cause like next week we've got Blink, which is a, a Doctor and Martha light episode. It doesn't have anything to do with them really. Um, and then after that, we, we barrel straight into the, essentially like the three part of it is the finale. Um, and as we've, I think we talked about it on a previous episode, but like this season does end with some self-respect for Martha. But before we get to that point, we have to endure some of the worst Martha writing I've seen. Um, and so I just, I can't help but now, now that we're getting towards the end of this, kind of look back at this entire track that we've had here and be like, you fucked this up in, in such a colossal way. And Freema Adjaman deserved better. The first black companion deserved better. Um, Martha as a character deserves better than to be sort of this role. Um, there's a, a great piece called Martha Jones and the Culture of Casual Racism, uh, which was published on uh, Lady Geek Girl. Uh, it's a WordPress site. I'll link to it in the, the description. Um, there's a quote that I pulled from it, though, that really stuck with me about Martha. <clears throat> Why is it that Martha was the one who was always sacrificing herself and her wants to those of the doctors? Why is a subordinate caretaker role the only role acceptable for a black woman? Um, and I think that just kind of perfectly sums up my issues with this two-parter and the way that it treats Martha. You're right. And you've just reminded me of something from that article as well, which you pointed out, which is that the writer Paul Cornell was even aware that in 1913, black women were also being trained to be a doctor. And so, like, Joan's reaction mm. isn't necessarily anachronistic. Like, her... I'm sorry, for context, there's a scene where Joan, after being a very lovely and sweet character, uh, has a moment of overt racism towards Martha. And Martha gives slaps her back with a great scene. Um, but, you know... In that scene, that's that's Joan just showing, like, despite the fact that women of Martha's colour could be doctors, she doesn't personally uh, yeah. see that because of the institutionalised, like, racism of that culture. Yeah, speaking of uh, Joan and the Doctor, uh, let's talk about Joan and the Doctor. <laughs> let's talk about... Let's, let's start with Joan because it does flow on from what we were just discussing with Martha, but, like, um, you know... They well, first of all, outright, Joan didn't need to be racist. Um, I, I think that if you're going to have the Doctor fall in love with a woman in this era, I think it only makes sense that he would fall in love with an enlightened one, um, or like one that just has a fundamental more kindness in her, which she does express towards the boys of the Academy because of her her tragic backstory with a dead husband. Um, but that that same kindness isn't extended to Martha because she treats Martha like shit for most of the story. Let's be completely honest here. Um, to, to well, she treats watch. She treats Martha as a woman of that time would treat Martha, and I think that she's not like being out and out awful to her. Um, she's not dismissing her at every single turn. But she does dismiss her at every single turn. Like every time Martha walks into the room, she's like, "Oh, this is very improper. Can you leave?" Yeah, because she wants like, to yeah, bone the doctor. Sure. Yeah, but uh, oh my god, that's not the point though. <laughs> like. Uh. Yeah, I know that she wants to bone the doctor, but it would, like, 
the the woman that Martha works with that eventually gets turned into one of the the family of blood aliens isn't racist, right? Like Martha does have like sort of a, an ally with, within that system. Like there are people in that time in that area of the country who are kind enough to be like, yo, this is actually really fucked up the way that um sort of you're treated. And so I don't know why that same writing wasn't then given to Joan as well, especially considering that like the episode ends with the doctor being like, hey, I know that you were like super casually racist to my companion, but do you want to come traveling with us? Well, that is a whole different discussion for sure. Um, and that last scene in itself has worth a whole episode of discussion. Oh yeah, no, and, and it will be. And like, we're definitely going to get to it because like there, there is a lot of good with Joan. Uh, I'm just saying that like, there was no reason to me that Joan also had to um, uh, exhibit the same racist traits that Martha, that Martha was experiencing from the other people in the story. Yeah, fair enough. Fair. Yeah. So, like I said, I remember loving these episodes um, and rewatching it. I was like, oh, yeah. It's because Jessica Hines is a phenomenal actress. She is so lovely. She's incredible in Space, which is this little, like, uh, uh, Simon Pegg UK nerd drama, uh, nerd comedy series, which you should absolutely go and check out if you haven't already. Um, I, I really, really, really fuck with the kind of performance that she puts down as Joan. It's very, very warm and inviting and sweet, you know, when she's not being racist. Um, so I, I, I love all of that. But then watching it back, I, I was just like, oh you literally only exist to fall in love with the doctor. Like there's nothing else going on with this character. And I think the reason why that kind of romance is so digestible to us when we're kids watching this kind of show is because when you're a kid, your entire world and perception of the show is revolving around the doctor as well. And as an adult, now sort of viewing a lot of this writing, whether it's Martha or it's Joan or or Rose or any of the women of this time, I'm just so tired of characters that only exist to be like, oh, let me bat my lashes at the doctor. It is curious that the Doctor chooses yet another blonde woman in his human form yeah. to fall in love with. Another bl- blonde white woman. I mean, like, Martha has that moment where she's like, you had to go and fall in love with a woman, and it wasn't me. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm just... I'm so tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, look, I think that that romance is definitely just a casualty of transcribing the book to the... I was going to say the stage. The book to, the, uh, to filming it. Um, because obviously like a long protracted romance would be more accurately told, uh, in a book where you have long pages and passages where you can extrapolate on how they meet and the characters that they are. And yeah, like definitely there isn't a lot of time given to Joan's backstory other than a few scant, uh, references to her husband, but it is all working to the same end, I would say with her backstory with the husband and the war and the boys school like it's all it's all clicking and fitting thematically is what I mean to say and so maybe there's a lot there's a bit of shorthand to get to that point but I don't think it's like so unbelievable uh and I do think that what sells that romance so well is obviously Jessica Hines' performance uh as we've noted but also David Tennant as well and I I think that I think that this is probably the the rare instance where I can say with full authority that this is his finest hour to date um 
yeah, like, I do agree that the writing with Joan's backstory does go on to sort of play a role in the stuff with the war and the boys and, and the glory of death and everything like that. Um, to me, that is just more mechanical than anything else though in the same way that her falling up with the doctor is mechanical um i think the only part of her writing that is starkly human is is her last scene with the doctor um but we can we can we should probably actually just get to that now because otherwise we're going to trip right into the war stuff um and david Tennant's performance is uh good you have to <laughs> There could have been so many choices given, right, with his performance where it was like, oh, the Doctor is plummy and British, so we'll make the jo- the human version, like, Scottish, for instance, because he has a natural Scottish accent. Uh, and I think the character in the book is Scottish, the human that he turns into. Um, but they don't do that. They keep, they, like, he has the same hair, for fuck's sake, with the, like, modern quiffy look, the same accent. He looks so out of time. Uh... And I love that about his performance is that even though he imbo- he is so, like, head in the clouds, up in, like, the air as a human, he is still a human of that time. And his performance, it's tough, you know, to play two characters, like, not simultaneously, but within the same story where you have to flip from one to the other. And I think it speaks to his, like, his strength as a performer, like, that very last scene where he has to fall the family into thinking that he hasn't changed when he has. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, there is so much to love about. I personally to love about his performance in this episode. Um, especially because like, there are so many moments where, and this, it speaks to what I think the writing is doing so excellently in this story, which is that the doctor may take human form but because they are human, don't be fooled. They are just as unknowable and so alien uh, and can't look or think or love you in the way that you think that you're being treated kind of thing. And like, Mm. it's the same thing like with the human version where he, where there's the scene with the, they're in the school, outside the school and the students are like shooting at imaginary, like the, scarecrows or whatever they are um and one of the students like asked permission to beat another student uh tim latimer (laughs) and the like john smith just goes yep you know permission granted and with no compassion whatsoever um yeah you know and so the doctor and the human his human alter ego, I should say. It's really hard to sort of describe them. I guess the Doctor and John Smith, let's call them. Yeah. Um, are very much products of their upbringing, but with the Doctor, it's less acknowledged. Um, so much so. Yeah. It, I mean, it just seems very content to write on the subtext of a lot of it. Um, and given how much story they're trying to put into, uh, you know, an hour and a half, like I, I, I I kind of get it. Um, and I don't dislike what Tennant does with the performance. I, I, I would disagree that the distinction between the two characters is distinct. Um, I, I think, no, that's what I'm not. saying. I'm not, sorry, just, I'm not, I'm saying that they're not distinct that I'm saying that like, there's so much of the doctor in the John Smith version, but because he is a product of, like, because this creation of his is a, like a product of that time period, 
there is, mm. I don't know how to describe it, but like the the human version is distinctly human while still retaining those doctor traits. And David Tennant skillfully, I think, manages to keep those two characters of the same flesh and of the same DNA whilst making them of a different ilk. Basically, what I'm saying is they are both the same and different at the same time. <laughs> they are distinct and indistinct from each other. <laughs> Try rebutting that, James. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda? <laughs> Uh, no, like I, I, I get what you're putting down, and um, look, I, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't, I, I mean, I, yeah, I just don't rate the performance as, as highly. I would say, uh, I think especially towards the ending when um, uh, John Smith starts having this like big kind of like crying breakdown about not wanting to go, which I mean, yeah, very clever, <laughs> Russell. Like I know where we're headed with all that now. Now that you're sort of seeing the ending and whatnot, um, but I, I think that his work as John Smith is overdone in the same way that his work when he's screaming as the doctor is is overdone i think tenet has a tendency to swing way too big um and i think that because his big performance was such a dramatic breath of fresh air for the show i understand why they lean into it so much um but just personally for me i i don't it doesn't really get the the engine going as much as i think it should be doing uh yeah well fair enough um i like it <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, uh, I guess to to get to him and uh, the Doctor and Joan's last scene together, um, after everything is sort of like put back and whatnot, um, he goes back to Joan and he's like, hey, you should come with me. Like, we could start again. Um, and she just like perfectly cuts him down um, in, in such a way that, I mean... Obviously, to me, it reminded me of, uh, you know, Kill the Moon and Clara, but uh, look. Um, and it's... It's good to hear her have those critiques of him. You know, she's very much like, you know, if the doctor, like if you hadn't come here on a whim, would all these boys had, had died in the school or would, would blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it's very standard doctored affair of like wherever you go, violence follows. And I'm just now realizing that. And I could never love a man like that. And, you know, the human version of you was so much more of a, um, a hero than you'll ever be. Um, and like, it's all very well acted and, and very well delivered. And it is nice to see this episode finally sort of having some uh, introspection about the way that these characters have been interacting. Um, my, um, again, my only real gripe with it is that at this point in the, the episode, Martha has vanished completely from the script, um, which is a whole problem in and of itself. Yeah, like that's it just goes back to what we we're talking before about Martha's role in this episode being um, sh- uh, cut significantly for sure i i love that last scene and i really i think this is a good opportunity to talk about uh what i love so much about the story when it's talking about the doctor and humanity and so there's a a few key lines for me from human nature uh the first being like when there's that like that weird comic book moment where the like John Smith saves a baby from a cru- being crushed by a piano by throwing a cricket ball at the whole thing. Um, mm. But before that, while he's like trying to figure out the plan, he's in the middle of saying, uh, "Let's hope that this country can find its heroes in smaller places," which to me is what this episode is about. It's like the human hero, like S- John Smith, as a hero who is. <laughs> this is going to say this very dumbly, but as a hero who is human, who is not a man, like, 
destined to be the doctor, but just like as a hero in his own right kind of thing. And I think that's where a lot of the tragedy of the episode lies is that like John Smith is just as good a hero for lack of a better word um, as the doctor, but by the, but by the doctor's like ignorant actions, like ignorant to the human level, uh, like understanding how humans work, his ignorance of humanity in general means that the tragedy of everything that happens here is entirely his fault. Um, you know, and so the ending with Joan where she like turns around and it's the doctor now and not John Smith. And she like looks away and she's like, I can't, I can't look at you. You know, I can't look into your eyes. And then the doctor that has that line where he's like, um, you know, look into my eyes. Can't you see I'm the same person, which I love because it's directly mirrored by in the end of human nature, Martha sitting down and talking to Joan and saying like, you can see it in his eyes that there's something dark there. Like, mm. it's just all clicking and working for me so very well, the writing in particular. Um, but what I love about it most is, like, it is hitting on a point that I especially love when it Doctor Who does it, which is just that the Doctor may look human and act human and, like, come down to Earth and make us our friend, make humanity his friends, but he doesn't understand them and he will continually do things that hurt them and not realise it. Um, and so that's why Joan's last line was like, you know, if he had never come here on a whim and then when she gives him the eyes, when she says whim, like it's just perfect, um, Mm. is just amazing. And also, and just to convince you that I'm right, James, this is exactly what Clara says at the end of kill the moon, where she says, you know, you come to earth, you make us your friends and then you tell us to toddle along. Like it's Mm. all working on that same thematic level. And I, Love it, but obviously the difference being with, with Clara and Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi actually goes on a journey to become that human doctor in a way. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, like that's also delivered by a companion who is going through complicated feelings about the doctor that she's traveling with, as opposed to what this era of the show is doing, which is just it's to me kind of all the more galling that they include conversations like this because there's no actual follow-through in the the rest of the writing of the show if that makes sense like yeah Mm. like we get like a really well written and well delivered sort of indictment of the doctor's actions here but it's like you said to me when we were discussing this like as soon as he meets up with martha again it's immediately just like oh big hugs everything's back to normal like and that's because it genuinely is everything's back to normal um like i remember like after the end of what kill the moon i think the next episode is the orient express one right it is. Yeah. And I remember watching that and like that episode starts up and they're just on another adventure and everything seems normal. And you're like, I was, I was like, what the fuck is happening? They had a massive fight. Why is this not being addressed? And then in the quiet moments within like the first 10 minutes of that episode, you, you uncover this like massive amount of tension where she wants to leave and he doesn't really know how to process that information. And like, you can see that there has been layers and fractures and damage and repair all kind of added to their dynamic. Um, And that is the kind of moment we should have had with Martha at the end of this story. But because this episode just doesn't give a shit. Um, This era doesn't give much of a shit. Um, And I I know, I know I'm harking on that and I know I'm very negative on that, but like it is genuinely like a, like a massive red flag to me. I think what you're just saying is that it, doesn't have consistency episode to episode and doesn't have a, a general 
game plan or journey for its companions beyond their brief, which is, I love the doctor, he loves me, or I love the doctor and he doesn't love me, or I'm a sassy woman from 2008 and come at me. Um, Yeah, yeah. It's just all very surface level at this point in in the run of the show, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, as an overarching series discussion of who the Doctor is, I think it is a very modern take on it, a very timely take on it. And um, I just, I'd really just love that it is this Doctor that we do get this story with because, like, David Tennant is, or was at the time and is now today, you know, still the most popular incarnation of this character. And you can come up with a a thousand different reasons why that is, you know, he's charming, he's young, he's a man. Um, (laughs) But I, I still, in my mind, keep coming back to like, he is probably the most conventionally attractive like doctor there's ever been. Right. Yeah. And to use that as a vehicle to tell a story about how the Doctor may look attractive, but is at heart cruel and, I know I've said this a few times now, unknowable, is something I just fuck with so hard. And, like, even if the ending of the Family of Blood in particular's story isn't handled, you know, all that well um yeah i still enjoy the reveal that it isn't he didn't change make himself human to hide from them he made himself human for their mercy to you know save them essentially from their own hubris um uh, yeah yeah i i do wonder about what the intent of those scenes are with the doctor. Like when he gets that, like, you know, cool walking away from an explosion shop instead of an explosion, it's someone he's rung up as a skeleton, uh, as a scarecrow to live there for the rest of their life. Like I don't, with, with the writing being the way that it is around David Tennant's doctor at this point in the show, I don't trust that the show is itself aware of the, the full toy box that it's playing with here. I think it's just, it thinks it's playing with cool toys uh, as opposed to maybe the emotional depth of, of what they're actually doing. Uh, potentially. Yeah. I think it just comes down to like, it's, it's a question of faith in the show. Um, and I think that sometimes I have a lot of faith in Doctor Who as a, as a creative force and other times I don't. Um, and, and this season in particular has been, um, like a, <laughs> like a, a proper test of my, wait a minute. Did you guys know what you were doing here? Like I, it, it, to me, it's just all over the place in terms of if it wants you to criticize or worship the Doctor. Um, and I, I find that disconnect, um, very jarring. Um, yeah, I think it wants to do both. Uh, yeah, I, I think it does too. Yeah. And, and like on, on the family of blood themselves, um, I think that they are a really good villain, um, because of the incredible performance delivered because of the incredible performances delivered by, uh, the, the main family themselves. They are just so enigmatic and creepy and 
all present um, and, and you know, in, in a story about an alien hiding in a human body, they are very much the, the aliens in a human body. They, they feel so wrong in their human forms. Um, and I, I do really enjoy them as, as the bad guys. Uh, truly. And obviously the award for that for the week goes to Harry Lloyd uh, as the Bane son of mine character, um, who I just mm. realised uh, Russell T, uh, after the episode recorded, like, sent a note to the casting agent or something being like, this is someone to keep an eye on. He's even, like, a potential doctor, like, uh, pick. Um, oh, okay, right. Which you can see in, like, his unearthly kind of performance here, like, which is helped by mm-hmm. the camera angles that the director chooses and uh the general like something's off vibe um but like the eyes the the weird head cock the sniffing like he's just so he's so creepy and so smarmy as well with that british voice and the bit where he's like mimicking the headmaster like the yes sir no sir give me caning sir blah blah Mm. um so very good um even if I don't, yeah. like, fully understand what the family are and also the mechanics of them in general, because, like, there's the line earlier where Martha says, you know, uh, they have a very short lifespan, you know, three months and they die. But then at the end, the doctor, like, imprisons them and makes them live forever. Like... Uh, yeah, I don't fully understand either. <laughs> um, and it's just a victim of like a script that is uh, ambitious, but again, very unfocused. Um, I think that when you don't get enough time to flesh a lot of these things out, you don't get enough time to flesh them out, you know? Couldn't have put it better myself. Yeah. And it's, it, yeah, like, uh, whatever. It, it's, it's a bummer, but it doesn't really detract from my enjoyment of, of them as characters. Um, no. The most interesting part I find about them is... Um, there's a scene where a son of mine is uh, having a standoff with the headmaster of the the boys' school, and they're having a uh, a conversation about the ethics and the soul of war, essentially. Mm. Uh, because he's like, you know, hey, we've been traveling through time, we've seen what's coming for you next year. Uh, all these boys uh, dead on a battlefield. Do you think that they'll thank the man who taught them it was glorious? And it's one of those instances where. Um, and I mean, this is something that the, the MCU does a lot, actually. Like, you give the villain a technically correct point of view, but then because they're so abhorrently evil, you know, you could never actually fully agree with that point of view. Um, I think that's an insidious bit of writing, personally. I don't like that as a trope that I'm seeing progressing in a lot of modern media because a lot of times very uh, left-leaning progressive concepts about socialism or anti-war stances or whatever are given to these monsters of, of characters. Um, and so to see it emerging all the way back here is is very interesting to me, especially when you pair it with, you know, the Doctor's subtext about how he has all this, like, PTSD and regret about his role in this massive war. And then, like we said in the plot description, it ends with... A Memorial Day ceremony mm. where you, you've got a, um, a a member of the church sort of delivering this, like, they, you know, they shall not grow old, they shall not be forgotten and, and whatnot. And it ends on this, like, very nationalistic tone. And I just, I, beyond being annoyed at what it's saying, I genuinely can't figure out what this is trying to say. Well, to go back to what you were saying earlier about Son of Mine's line and the progressive lines being delivered by the villains it's it's important to note that it's not being delivered to the doctor who is the hero of this story but to the headmaster Mm. who is you know a part of this 
time period and a part of that institutional uh, attitude to war and to Britain and to the glory of empire and all of that stuff. Like, this episode definitely, like, explores just the set-in kind of cultural attitudes that exhibit in very abhorrent ways, one of which being your love for your country exhibits itself as making boys fight and potentially die to, you know, save their school. Like, it's just bananas. Uh, And what's more bananas is, you know, that the John Smith character who has been seen as somewhat sympathetic is like his immediate action is to, you know, rally the boys and to put them to war. Um, uh, it, it is a, it's a complicated sort of story to, it, to talk about and rela- with its relation to, to war. It's obviously a missed opportunity to not then have a discussion about how it relates to like the doctor's own experience of war, mm. just because the doctor is, is not present here in this story until the very end um and you know for all we know that martha just isn't aware of that history herself um i don't think that it it puts a step wrong necessarily uh in its depiction uh of britain's attitude to to like war there's obviously lots of references to previous prior to world war one like fights and battles like the crimea uh, obviously, Joan's husband, um, the encroaching, like, British Empire, that, like, all of these things are, are playing to create a time and a place. Um, it, but with the Remembrance Day stuff, it's just unfortunate because I think that they are trying to tr- strike a very human level ending where it's, like, the Doctor and Martha come back for Tim, who they have yeah. had a relationship with over the course of this story. And because it's in the trappings of a Remembrance Day memorial, they're wearing the poppies. It's the hymn and the, uh, the, 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 not, it's not a Bible verse, but the, the war poem that the yeah. priest is, uh, reading. Um, you know, it's all in the context of the very thing that it's trying to critique. Um, which would be good if it was actually critiquing it at the, in that very last scene. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, exactly. It's, um, that's why I said, like, I, I just genuinely can't pass this information. I don't know what they're trying to do here. Um, I think that in a similar sense of sort of what we came to as a conclusion for both criticizing the doctor and worshiping him, I do think it's just trying to do both. Um, but when you do both you do neither any justice really um like if you want to do a a sort of pro not pro war but like a pro you know belief in country and queen and and for the fellow lad like if you want to do that story i wouldn't particularly enjoy it but i would rather they just committed to that particular story um sorry i keep interrupting you there you go um i think that it is i don't think it's pro war by any means i don't think you could like level that argument of this episode and have it like be true but i i think that that last scene just definitely muddles muddies the water because i think that above being anti-war um this episode is (laughs) pro-human and it's pro-human spirit pro-individual human spirit which is something that we also talked about with gridlock 
and like how that message mm. in that episode also gets like muddied and pulled down by the very specific Christian imagery it chooses to use to illustrate that point. Um, yeah. And it's the same thing here. We're a very pro-human story, a pro-human spirit story about Tim Latimer, you know, putting differences aside with his school bully to save him on the battlefield. Like, um, all of that stuff. Uh, John Smith being a very human average hero who chooses to die and sacrifice his life to save uh, the woman he loves, but also, the like, his country, for lack of a... Well, to save his country, you know, um, definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's... So, I... I don't... I think that that stuff is all working. I think it's all there, and I think it's working very, very well. Um, it's just that, like, to then also have a scene of remembrance for that war and not have the Doctor pass... The Doctor... This is the thing, like, the Doctor just has very little to say in this episode at all. Um, he doesn't have any commentary on what's transpired over the course of this story. He wasn't there for it. He was asleep. Um, (laughs) and so it's galling that none of the characters, like it's galling that Martha doesn't like a, like take him to task, but also B doesn't tell him about what Tim Latimer has gone through. Um, you know, and Mm. so which would have made that last scene just like that bit more, congruent yeah 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 uh yeah i i think that's pretty much the biggest talking points that we've got about human nature family of blood it is um it's a lot um <laughs> uh are there any sort of like uh quick we, we usually like to wrap these things up with a bit of a quick fire positivity round because we don't like ending on a on a, on a shitty dour note um so is, is there anything that you want to um fire off real quick well, yeah, like, I think that there are a lot of great little scenes that make up this story. Um, I love Martha's relationship with the other Jenny, who becomes mother of mine. Um, mm. I especially, like, I just love all their interactions. Um, I especially love when, like, Jenny turns into mother of mine and comes back to the, like, the room that she and Martha share. And Martha's prepared this tea. And, and like, Martha just knows something's up. But, like, the way, I love the way that Martha... Um, test her to see if something's up or not by saying, you know, I could put some like fish in the pot and like, <laughs> and the mother of mine leans in and yeah. goes, I'd like the sound Can of that. Breakfast? Yeah. <laughs> I like the sound of I that. I like the sound of <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, it's so <laughs> creepy. And like the ramping tension with her just being like one tick and then the slow edge out of the room and then the running, like, uh, again, like when Martha is in action and active in the story are great scenes for me. Um, um, definitely. Um, on that note, if I could just say the ending of human nature is this like cringeworthy, like you choose doctor, your friend or your lover. And it's, you know, Martha and, and Joan being sort of held captive. And I really can't stand it as a, a little cliffhanger, but then immediately, as soon as the next episode kicks off, Martha kicks into action, gets one of the guns and starts holding mother of mine captive after establishing that Jenny is long gone and dead as well. Like she's so smart and on the ball uh and it's just it's i love martha when she's allowed to be martha jones oh truly she's action hero for our times um yeah you know just a shame she had to go and join the military but that's a whole other story Mm, speaking of (laughs) pro-military um yeah like i think that generally the aesthetics of this story are great um the one shot that i love is uh joan encountering the 
family ship on the like dark English field and then the green tractor beam mm-hmm. like seeking over the countryside is just so classic UFO territory. Um, exactly. As somebody who grew up with like, do you remember those like, I don't know, maybe you're too young for this. Um, there used to be these like picture books that were like little UFO history books, basically. And they would have these like really gorgeously done um, artist renditions of, you know, shit that people have thought that they saw in a field or whatever. And uh, that image of the green tracking, like going over the empty fields really took me right back there in a very, um, again, in the, that classic who way, it feels like my childhood on the screen sometimes and i do really respond to that mm, i don't know what you're talking about but uh, that book wise but <laughs> you're I, like what's a book <laughs> I, I was trying to look it up just then to see if i maybe knew what you were talking <laughs> about um yeah absolutely it's like it's classic it's classic sci-fi stuff especially with like uh like the invisible ship and the force field stuff uh i think just all that green imagery and the way that they portray the family of mine uh, uh family are great uh, the scarecrows are a great image, even if like they're the obligatory who monster that week. Um, they are still mm. creepy, and the shots of like the hordes of scarecrows coming on the advancing on the school is uh, like nightmare t- um, territory. So, top marks there. I don't think I can like criticize this episode on its uh, acting or its aesthetics. I think it's like as a world realized, it's wholly complete. Uh, yes. I, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that that's... <laughs> fuck me, I'm just totally spent, though. <laughs> like, uh, this was a lot of conversation, um, and I'm, I'm aware that I maybe haven't said everybody's favourite things this episode. So, uh, let's wrap this one up. What are you going to give um, human nature? Uh, individually or altogether? Individually first, and then we'll do, like, a, a combined score, just for fun. Okay. Um, human nature is probably an A, Family of Blood's A+. Oh. Okay. Wow. I really yeah, I really like, like these like episodes. The <laughs> I really like these episodes. I yep. All the stuff it does with David Tennant's Doctor, I love. Uh, I, I don't think I've expressed myself very... Like I said at the top of the episode, like, I don't think I've expressed myself very eloquently during this episode. This is the kind of... This is the kind of episode that I would love to do a written uh, response to mm, because, totally. I, I, yeah, I've done a little bit of research, but I really haven't done enough or as much as I would have liked to give a proper critique or examination of this story. But yeah, like I love, I just love them. Okay. Um, what about you? I'm going to go with, hmm. I think human nature, I'm going to give a, uh, a C plus, um, and family of blood, uh, a C plus. <laughs> I, um, I, I want to rank them higher. Um, but I, I just can't. That's fair enough. What would you give the story overall? I think overall it's, um, like a C minus. Wow. For me, it's an A plus. <laughs> Two hearts, everybody. <laughs> Occasionally, they do not beat in rhythm. Um, Sorry, I've just realised something. Um, so, you know how the Doctor has a fob watch in this story? Yeah. Do you know what the acronym of Family of Blood is? Uh, how cool. Uh, <laughs> D plus. Um <laughs> <laughs> 
No, no. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, look, uh, as I was saying, thank you everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, as we said at the top of the show, if you want to have your thoughts, feelings uh, read on here, we would like you to send them to twoheartspodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at twoheartspod and that's the number two. I have been James and you can find me on Twitter at omgmorejames. And I've been Callum and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Theatricalum. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time to discuss Blink. Oh my god. It is all happening, folks. Last night, actually, a little behind the scenes for you here to wrap us up today. Uh, Callum was saying, oh, it would just be really nice to talk about like a positive episode that isn't written by Stephen Moffat. And me and my infinite stupidity was like, oh, well, we've got Blink next week. That's not a Moffat story. Um, he didn't. He wasn't amused. Yeah, I, I yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything to say to that. <laughs> Just we're going to talk about Blink next week. It's going to be great. I am excited to. I am excited to revisit this episode because, like, its legacy is just so incredibly big. But it's not. It's not Doctor Who, and that's like my teaser for next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you know anything about me, you know that's my positive teaser for next week. Is the exact same thing. Um, but we are out. <laughs> Have a lovely couple of weeks, everybody. Stay safe, be kind, and we'll see you in a bit. Bye. Bye.